be in verses 19 through 24 this morning. 19 through 24. I remember as a, as a young um, believer, uh, first, I'd first come to Christ and, and I wasn't sure what it was all about and I, I started going to church and I, and I remember as, um, as I would go, we would go and, and, and open up our hymnals. It was a Baptist church in North Carolina. We'd take the hymnals uh, in front of us, we'd open them up, and, and we would sing that song that we sang just a few minutes ago, Blessed Assurance. Uh, you know the, the words, right? Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. But what do we do? What do we do when we begin to sing that hymn? Or, or maybe we open our Bibles. Or perhaps we wake up in the middle of the night and we, and we wonder, is Jesus really mine? Do I have blessed assurance? Well, as we've been going through this letter, John wrote this letter to assure believers that they may have eternal life. And throughout this letter, as he has uh, set it out before us, he's given three tests for what a Christian truly is. And that is one who believes in Jesus Christ as, as the one who came in the flesh. God in the flesh. And that by believing Him, and in His works, that we would live out of His righteousness. Uh, it's, it's almost as if He's saying, if you know Me, you will show Me. And that's exactly what He's doing. And the third test that we have that He lays out for us is that we would love other believers. So if we're to break that down, we would see again, we know, we show, and we love. Even with this desire to encourage, John realizes as he's riding along that sometimes true believers really begin to struggle and they begin to doubt that perhaps he realizes in writing this letter in this way that his beloved children may have issues in hearing this that drive them to ask the questions that we do when we're doubting. You know, is Jesus really mine? Do I obey as I should? Do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ as I could? Well, he, our passage this morning answers these important questions. So let's look at 1 John 3, uh, 19-24. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandment to do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God. And God in Him and by this, we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Let's pray together. 
Father, I want to thank You so much for Your Word this morning. I want to ask that You would be with us and enlighten this passage that we may um, know You better and help us to, to understand what it, what it is that You're trying to communicate to us about the Gospel and our own hearts. We thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, our focus this morning um, is going to be on this idea that John offers gospel reassurance to us by encouraging us in Christ. I mean, that's the simple message of this text. So let's unpack uh, John's message and consider these three encouragement or these two encouragements. The first encouragement is is encouragement for condemned hearts, and then secondly, encouragement for confident hearts. And its blessings. So as we look first of all at the encouragement for condemned hearts in verses 19 and 20. John begins by pointing out the real need that we have. Uh, that will just come on us all of a sudden. It's right there in verse 20. Look at it. Whenever our hearts condemn us. Notice he doesn't say if ever. But he says whenever our hearts condemn us. Now, I, I have noted before that it appears that the false teachers that he has been writing against in the letter have been teaching that they knew the truth by some sort of special uh, inner insight, some sort of inner revelation. Um, again, John has countered this by noting that the marks of a true Christian is a lifestyle of biblical, moral character, and good deeds that grow out of our commitment to belief in Christ Jesus. However, we see that in our desire to live such lives, we, we fail, and sometimes we fail miserably. Uh, we will even fall short of our own ideas of good lives, much less God's. So in our hearts, um, as they convict us and they bring us, you know, just in our minds, it'll bring us to a place where we're standing before the Lord and, and, and He'll bring us into His courtroom. And there's, there's this thing that plays out in our minds like this, this mock trial before the God Almighty. And in this mock trial, we can hear, you know, the condemnation that's poured down upon our hearts. And, and again, we'll wrestle through those questions. Is Jesus really mine? Do I obey Him as I should? Do I love my brothers and sisters as much as I could? And the obvious answer is no. No. But even in this, there's a little bit more going on in this text. That it is actually a deeper issue. Uh, James Boyce reminds us of, an, of these deeper issues at play when it comes to the trial in our own hearts. Listen to what he says. He says, self-condemnation can be due to a number of factors. It could be a matter of disposition. Some people are just more introspective and melancholy than others. It may be a question of health. How does a person, how a person feels inevitably affects how he thinks. It may be due to specific sin. It may be due to circumstances. But whatever the cause, the problem is a real one. And widespread. And so, he leaves with this question, how is a believer to... Um, 
to deal with such doubt. Well, at the end of verse 20, John graciously gives us a gospel remedy. Pray! It's not your message, brother. It's His. And I'll take a piece of paper and a pen and my Bible and I'll leave my commentaries and that blank screen uh, sitting there on the desk and I'll walk out and I'll either go for a walk or, or go in one of the rooms here. Sometimes I come sit right up here in the front row and I'll just pray and I'll say, Lord, I don't know what to say. I mean, this passage is clear, but I still don't know what to say. And his heart is always to say, ask me. Look at the Scriptures. Sit before me. And I'll give you the message. In these Gospels, in the, I should say in these moments when the Gospel really hits my heart, um, I realize that it's, it's a remedy. That it is what I need that leads to a confident heart. And that's what John is saying here. And he's saying this throughout this book. Is the remedy of the gospel leads us to confident hearts. And then to confident prayers. And the, real, the reality of that is, is it's because we're united to Christ. Even in our failures. And, and in our wrestling with our old sinful nature. Because He knows everything. Because He knows it all. And yet, God is greater than our messed up hearts and our messed up desires. And so, in the gospel, I can trust Him. And you can too, and we can too. And our trust in God um, leads us to this wonderful benefit of prayer. And even in our prayer, it's like... You know, He sees again our sin. He sees our failures. But He not only sees that, He sees this, this fickleness and of desire in our hearts. These silly intentions. But His Spirit is so that He draws us in love. That He hears us. Because we please Him in Christ. And as we come to Him as in this childlike faith... Um, the gospel compels us to have childlike confidence in the Father. And it's not just any Father. We can't think earthly fathers because earthly fathers let us down. But this Father loves us beyond our wildest dreams. He cares for us. You know, He, again, he could look past our silly, fickle desires and answer us. And so in that, it compels us to pray for things well beyond even our own understanding. I like how C.H. Spurgeon put it in his book on prayer. He said, Christ, or, or I should say, childlike confidence makes us pray as none else can. It makes a man pray for great things which he would never have asked for if he had not learned this confidence. And makes him pray for little things which a great many are afraid to ask for because they have not yet felt towards God the confidence of children. And so I ask you, is this your confidence?
Do you know these benefits? And if not, John is he's compelling us to look no further than the gospel of Jesus Christ. For in and only in Christ will we have fruitful prayer. It always begins and it ends in the gospel. And I believe as we look around the rest of this text here, the passage elaborates further on this point. I mean, that's the whole point of the passage. Look at verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Why? Why? Because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments, what does it say? Abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. So you see the benefit of God hearing our prayers and answering our prayers according to His purpose, according to His glory, according to our good, is locked into that reality of our relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus, we have to think about it, to believe in Jesus is to receive Him as Savior and Lord. As God's anointed prophet, priest, and king. It is trusting Him as our only hope. Resting on the perfect sufficiency of His anointing sacrifice. And in the perfect righteousness of His obedient life as our covenant head. And so you see it's important, as John Stott notes, that obedience is the indispensable condition, not the meritorious cause of Answered prayer. So we see here in the text that this, and it always is like this. Jesus said it was like this. The, you know, our belief in Christ Jesus has a natural outflow of love for one another. These two ideas stem from the same attitude of heart. And John sees them as one command. It's almost like he's saying you can't have one without the other because that's what he's saying. Those who obey God's commands live in Him. They abide in Him. Similarly, if you flip over to John 15, uh, John there links abiding with obeying. The way we can know that He lives in us then is by the Spirit that He gave us. God is greater than our hearts. So how do we apply this? You know, it's, it's just really simple. First of all, believe. I mean, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is who He said He is. That He came, that He may ransom many of us. That He may deliver us from our uh, captivity to sin. Bring us back into a right relationship with the Father. Believe that. Believe that He is who He said He is. And who the prophets and the apostles testify of who He is. The second thing that we can see here is, is that if our heart condemns us, believe. <laughs> I mean, again, it goes right back to it. Believe. Go back to the gospel. Hold on to the gospel truth. And in that belief, 
realize who you are, that He sees you for who you are, and then confess your sin, repent, and, and then leave that sin behind and come in confidence that He is greater than your heart. And thirdly, enjoy the benefits of this rea- relational reality that is expressed in the desire to know and please Him. Its outflow will be loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. It will be obeying His Word and desiring to please Him. And if you're a believer in Christ Jesus and that's your heart, then He's looking not so much at your total obedience as at that desire that you have there. His grace is sufficient for us. So in that, we can come to Him with the benefit of, of praying with confidence. Albertus Peters in his book, Divine Lord and Savior, tells of a believer who was not well educated, but who had a deep assurance of his salvation. Everyone called this man Old Pete. And one day when he was talking to Dr. Peters, uh, he said, If God should take me into the very mouth of hell and say to me, In you go, Pete. That's where you belong. I would say to him, You're right, Lord. That's exactly where I belong. But if you're going to throw me in there, you better throw your son in there too. Because I'm so wrapped up with him that I will never let him go. God is greater than our hearts. Hold on to Jesus, the Lord and the Savior, the King of all. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your love and mercy that we have this This reality of the gospel. That He came to redeem us. That in Him and in Him alone are we kept so confidently that even when our hearts begin to doubt, what Your Scripture tells us to do is to look to Jesus, to look to Him again and again and again. And so, Father, help us. Help us, Lord. Give us the strength to look and to know that these things are true. Help us to hold on to Jesus and to be so united to Him that we would never, ever, ever be separated. Oh, may it be. And Lord Jesus, come quickly that we would know it beyond hope but that we would know it in reality. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.